everybody, and welcome to episode 100 of the React Woo! Roundup podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Usually we have like a big gang of people here. It's like all the people have been on the show in the past, but yeah, it's just Thomas and I today. So Thomas, you want to say hi? Hello, this is me. Yeah, and I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and yeah, we've done 100 of these. Springboard offers the first online self-paced software engineering bootcamp with a job guarantee. Become a software engineer or get your money back. You'll be mentored by senior software engineer or technical leader who has worked at companies like Microsoft, Intuit, and Amazon. Springboard has helped graduates increase their salary by an average $25,000 a year. Make a risk-free investment in yourself and apply now. For a limited time, use the code JABBER, unique to our podcast listeners, to get $500 off the course. That's springboard.com. I'm curious, Thomas, what episode did we get you to join in the mess on? I'm not sure what the number was, but I came in, it was not long after React Conf 2018, talking about like design tools and the kind of the future of tooling when it comes to the front end development. Right. We had probably been rolling for about six months by then. So yeah, it's been a fun ride, you know, some ups, some downs, some all arounds, I guess. uh, (laughs) When we started out, I think we had Natter on the show. I'm trying to remember who else we had when we started, but and I'm really just blanking on names because I'm super tired. Well, I can just check the the website. Let's see. That's true. Starting the show, it was kind of interesting because I wasn't, how do I put it? I wasn't necessarily looking to start more shows. I had a bunch of people asking me about, you know, what I might start as far as shows. And I did a, uh, oh yeah, we had Kent C. Dodds, Corey House, Tara Manixic, and Natter Dabbit. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was interesting just to kind of dive into this. I sent a survey around to the audiences that we have at devchat.tv. And at that point, I think we had five, five or six shows. And yeah, the JavaScript community overwhelmingly said, we want to show about React. Yeah. The Ruby community overwhelmingly said, we want to show about Elixir. Really? And Joe Eames overwhelmingly said that he wanted to do a show about Vue.js. And so we started all three of them at the same time. Awesome. I'd love to see the breakdown of popularity between them. Over the year? Yeah. Yeah, the Vue podcast is slightly more popular than this one. Ooh, them's fighting words. Yeah. And (laughs) Elixir podcast is not quite as popular as this one. So that's how that breaks down. It's been kind of an interesting ride as far as you know, how we've grown and and things like that. It's been a ton of fun to just be involved in this over the, the, the years. Yeah, definitely. It's been a um, a great contribution in my life. I like the, the balance between certainty and variety and mm-hmm. having the certainty that every week I'm going to get a certain amount of variety on a certain topic is it's a fun balance. Yep, absolutely. Well, and it's been interesting too, because you know, after a few weeks, Corey came and said, I'm too busy. You know, after a while, Kent also said, hey, I'm too busy. Yeah, he's super busy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Kent lives, you know, what, 15 minutes from here, so. Oh, cool. You know, so we get together periodically for lunch and stuff. He's got a ton of stuff going on. Natter with the AWS stuff that he's doing, he's been super busy. Tara had a baby. Oh, awesome. I think she moved away from doing as much React stuff. And I think she left Progress, if I remember right. And she's working for Netlify or somebody. So, I've heard good things. Yeah, so it's it's been kind of an interesting thing to see it all change. You know, we we moved on from that panel 
I'm trying to think who we had because we, we had a few other folks that, you know, joined the panel. Anyway, it's just, it's just been really interesting to dive into the React community. I'm a little curious, you know, as we've done this, you know, we had Dave Setia. Yeah, we had him join. We had, I feel bad for getting names. Lucas Race. Yeah, Lucas. We had uh, Sia Caramalegos on for a little bit, not terribly long. Jeremy Bennett. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's been really interesting. And then, you know, I've also thrown in some episodes on my own, you know, when I wind up going to like Microsoft Build and stuff, we talk about stuff relevant to that. I'm curious, are there any episodes that we've done that stand out to you? I think the the one that I keep coming back to over and over again, and just like mentioning to people in real life is um, the one with uh, David K. Piano about X-State. Uh-huh. He's such a fascinating guy. And I think that's that whole space, like state management, it is still kind of the the biggest unsolved problem in the React community right now. I mean, it's it's solved to to one extent or another, but it's not there isn't like an official like opinion on how it's supposed to be done. Like React yeah. itself is, you know, in the React community, React itself is the way that you do a uh, composition of components. Of course, there's a million ways to actually, right. you know, do that. But, and then, you know, hooks are starting to crystallize the, the patterns around sharing side effect and cross-cutting concerns and mm-hmm. sharing logic between components. But as far as like state management, that still feels like like there are a lot of like warring factions. So that that sounds a little bit antagonistic. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> it's it's like all the Vim and Emacs people that moved to VS Code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, I was I was so hardcore textmate for so long, but VS Code is just too good. Yeah, it is. But yeah, you know, it it's interesting, you know, diving into that and seeing, yeah, the war for the state management. But yeah, also, yeah, we've got hooks, we've got I swear we did for like a month or two. All anyone wanted to come on the show and talk about was Hooks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still can't get over what a huge deal Hooks is. Yeah. I can't stop gushing about what a, what a brilliantly elegant solution that is to a very, very tricky problem. And uh-huh. that they did it from the, from the standpoint of designing the developer experience first and I mean, that's, that's how Jordan designed React in the, in the get-go. Is like, right. okay, let's figure out what would be the absolute best developer experience and now figure out how to actually make that work and right. then figure out how to make that fast. Yep. Well, and it's interesting too. I mean, speaking of Jordan, I've reached out to him a couple of times to come on the show because I just want him to talk about, you know, how this all kind of came about. Yeah. And I haven't really met with success yet, but... We had him on JavaScript Jabber and talked a bit about it when oh, React sorry. Native came out. That was just fascinating to kind of see kind of yeah. the thought process behind a lot of it and where this can go. And I think it's interesting too that React has moved to, you know, static sites through Gatsby and yeah, you've got the mobile stuff through React Native. So yeah, fascinating. Uh, just Just the way that it's moved into that. It was really awesome, like, being in the room while these guys were inventing this stuff. And Uh just, like, it was kind of like a cross between being a fly on the wall and being a participant. I got to contribute, like, a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it was mostly just, like, being there and watching it happen in real time. Like, I I remember when Jordan brought me down 
Like I was on a, on a, in a completely different team working on a completely different right. kind of tech on, on a different platform that, I mean, a different framework that, that got axed once React came out. He was like excitedly telling me all about this, this thing that he was building over the ads team and like, and kind of whiteboarding it out on like, and I, I like, I was sold. Like, obviously this would be brilliant, but of course you, we were not allowed to have nice things. Like I had just been so <laughs> beaten down in my career at that point of just like, right. we can't have nice things. Just like, you got to just do it the normal way or it'll never actually get sold. Nobody's going to like it. The whole JSX right. thing is like never in a million years. I underestimated. I, it's not him that I underestimated because he was just, you know, he had a crazy idea of like actually... Right making a crazy idea real is very difficult. It was Tom Achino that actually helped to make React be a thing because he just, you know, over the years, he's, he's mastered the art of driving change in reality of like the analogy that I don't remember if he gave me or if somebody else, anyway, of just like, how do you grow a tree? Like first, you, you know, you plant the seeds in these little pots and you need to protect them from the sun and the wind and the rain. They have to live in this, in the greenhouse, you know, nobody's allowed to mess with them. And then once they're big enough and strong enough, then you can transplant them and, you know, then they can get all the, yeah. And he was telling me like, I was all excited about React Native when it was a thing. I was trying to talk to Mm -hmm. everybody about it, but I, you know, I was talking to like iOS engineers and Android engineers about React Native, <laughs> not yeah. thinking through their perspective of how they're going to feel about that. Yeah, what is this thing? Yeah, he pulled me aside and was like, you can't do that. And just explain the concept of like, if people, you know, get the chance to criticize something when it's not like fully developed and fully strong enough to defend itself, it, it'll die on the vine. It'll die right. as a sapling and never get the chance to see the light of day. Uh-huh. And so it's that concept that was so huge to me uh, that you can do anything. You can do even the most insane ideas like JSX. Like who would have thought that would fly, right? right? People bashed on that forever. Oh, yeah. And they were right to because it's a crazy idea, but it was strong enough to survive. Right. If, if we'd come out and said, you know, the day after thinking of it, hey, what, if that, what do you guys think about JSX? It just they would have killed it before it got a chance to get legs. Right. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. It really changed how I think about everything in in software. Well, a lot of the conventional wisdom in business is, you know, make something ugly but functional, right? And then yeah. and then you can go on from there and, you know, do the thing. And so it's it's interesting to kind of see it from the other perspective where it's like, well, wait until yeah, somebody's not going to come kill your dream. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there are two different ways of doing it. Make something ugly but functional and then, you know, make it more beautiful or make something beautiful and dysfunctional and make it more functional. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, at least, you know, it has all the polish in the right places, so. Right. And that's, I think, where Jordan went so right with React is that he, he started with the premise of, like, what if we could have our cake and eat it too and not get fat? Right. (laughs) yeah well and it's been amazing too to just watch you know people build all these things around the ecosystem yeah and thinking about like what life was like before that it was so hard to build anything big and beautiful because there was no shared certainty like people were sharing like the the atomic level of shared things like you, you could assume that every site could have either jquery or mutuals 
you know, mostly uh-huh. jQuery. But jQuery was just so low level and MuTools was even more low level than jQuery. It's like, here's e- ES6, you know, you could, you could build anything with that. Yeah. So your exposure to React was through Facebook. Yeah. I started using it before it really existed. I tried uh-huh. to tear it apart and prove that it was impossible so that I could let myself like it because it was just <laughs> it was just too good to it's like I remember when ActionScript I was so excited about ActionScript because it was such a beautiful language it was so ahead of its time and you know what you could do in the flash runtime but I just kind of took a step back and I just I knew even all the way back in like 2000, even before the iPhone came out, but it was definitely like the day the iPhone came out, it was like, nope, that career is dead. Like Flash will never run on this thing. And I just, I had a, kind of the same feeling with React. It was like, ooh, I like this a little bit too much. I don't trust my own feelings <laughs> here. I need to try and prove that it's impossible. And if I fail to prove it's impossible, you know, the scientific method, right? Right. Try and prove the things you love are impossible so you can't have them. No confirmation bias here, Dagnabbit. <laughs> I forget what I was saying. But yes. And I proved that, no, it's like, those were really good assumptions. A really good basis of how to build a, a yeah. framework. And I'm just, I like it. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, just talking through this a little bit. I got involved in the Angular community, man, what, like five years ago or something? Adventures in Angular has been running for quite a while. Awesome. You know, it it was interesting to be in that space and then have, you know, have React come in and all of a sudden it's this, you know, it's like, oh, okay, another framework. And then it really started to pick up steam. And it was like, oh, wow. And, you know, we can talk about some of the things that were there, like the the one-way data binding which was kind of a thing that we were talking about in Angular for a while. It was like, oh, it's got this one-way data binding and it's nice. Or the Shadow DOM or things like that. I'm trying to decide if any or all of those things were really what contributed to it or if it had more to... Because that's like the technology end of things. And it did contribute to the developer experience, but a lot of it, I felt, was really down to the developer experience. There was something in it that people were doing with it that they liked. Yeah. And I don't know if I can put my finger on exactly what that is. I mean, being there in in the room as they were coming up with this stuff, kind of the guiding principles in a React and even Facebook's PHP stuff before that, the, the principles were, it wasn't about the technology, it was about the humanity. Okay. Because at Facebook, you know, there's no such thing as code ownership there. Like anybody on any team can send a pull request or, you know, send a diff changing any part of any code anywhere without any permission needed. They just need somebody to approve the diff and it lands. Everything oh, wow. is always on master. You know, you can move teams without much difficulty and they, they encourage that because they want to keep people in the company, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is that you, every single code base is constantly being worked on by people with almost no experience in that code base. Right. And starting with the ads team, you know, you, you, you have to get the ad stuff right. That's where all the money is coming from. Right. And Jordan's like, this is too dang hard. So how do we make it so that anybody can jump into this code base, fix a bug, and we all have absolute certainty that they didn't just break everything. Right. That is the fundamental principle of React. And it goes into like everything with Flux and one-way data binding and 
every single thing about React is just for that one principle is just like, I should be able to, with five minutes, slap together a, a bug fix or a new feature or whatever, and nobody will have to fear that everything just broke. Right. So does, uh, do you feel like React accomplishes that? It makes it possible. <laughs> it makes it easy. It makes it kind of the, um, what is the, the, the word that you like to throw? The pit of success. Like you can do crazy stuff. You can shoot yourself in the foot, but it's really hard to do it with React. If you kind of just do things the React way, things right. just are mostly pretty good. And then you got to, you know, optimize it from there. Uh-huh. You know? But if you do try to do some crazy stuff, you like I've seen all kinds of madness with like Redux doing weird things combined with like doing weird stuff with the DOM. Yeah, that just like they've completely shot themselves in the foot with like a grenade. <laughs> and yeah, that, I mean, you can do that and ruin your life, but you know, just don't instead. Right. <laughs> yeah, my foot's a little tired of getting shot. I'll tell you. Yeah. That's kind of how I've learned everything in my career. It's just like, I just did it the wrong way 50,000 times. And so the only way left to do it has to be right, right? Fair enough. Or at least it's the least wrong way to do it. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> Sometimes that's all you can hope for, right? Right. So yeah, I, I guess I'm a little curious too, and you don't have to talk about this or answer this, but I'm, I'm kind of curious. You worked at Facebook for a while. You picked up React while you were there. Was it just time to move on to other things when you left? Or what's the story there as far as like where you've gone since Facebook and why? Yeah, so I, I was there for five years and I never imagined being anywhere for that long. You know, the company changed a lot since I was there and I was working remote and it wasn't super uh-huh. easy to, to do that there. They weren't like a super remote oriented company. That's a hard uh, transition to make. Yeah, definitely. And it was time for a recharge. Like every five years, you get a paid recharge of like 30 days. And like I had, I'd gotten there in 2012. So it was like perfect timing. And so I had mm-hmm. enough kind of, well, money to, to kind of take a longer recharge, take a step back. Because I realized, you know, the, my kids are all growing up. Like, what do I really want to do with my life? Like, I'd been working full time since the 90s. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the only time off that I had taken was, you know, occasionally like take a week off here or there. You know, I never took off any time when I had kids because I couldn't afford to. I never took off any time between jobs because I couldn't afford to. You know, I survived the dot-com bubble burst. I survived, I mean, it was just like a roller coaster. And it was like the first time in my life I actually had the, the freedom to, to take a step back and really kind of rest and recharge and collect my thoughts and figure out, what do I really want to do? How do I want to spend the next few years where my kids are still kids? And what do I want to be focusing my time on? So I, you know, I took like a year off I did a bunch of volunteering and we moved to Florida and I got to spend a lot of time with the wife and the kids and friends and do some like side stuff. And I ended up coming back to React because I just, I tried Angular, I tried a few other things and I came back to React because it's just, I really like it. Mm -hmm. It kind of fits in with my personality in a lot of ways. And all the people that I'm, that I kind of mesh with the best are using it 
more than they are anything else. If you're a front-end developer looking for remote work, then I recommend G2i, a React and React Native-focused hiring platform that will connect you directly with their clients that need your skill set. What makes G2i a unique hiring experience is that they spend the time marketing you to their clients of your choice. G2i is a team of engineers that technically vets you up front. If you pass their vetting, their clients have agreed to skip their initial interview process, saving you time and energy getting your next gig. They take care of all the hard work for you so you can get focused on development. To join G2i, go to g2i.co and apply. I have a zillion questions because I, I need to recharge. Of course, I need like yeah. three months because I've been, I've been burning things up at both ends for a long time. But uh, yeah. you know, down to the community, I, I think that's an interesting aspect of it. And it's, it's funny to me how often it comes back to that, right? It's, okay, well, my friends are all here. I'm comfortable here. I like the technology. Yeah. But yeah, you know, there's something to be said for the community. For me, it's like, it's people first. Like the, yeah. the advice I always used to give like new people just joining Facebook is, you know, the, the way that it is at Facebook, you get boot camps, which is like six weeks. And then the last few weeks, it, you know, all the teams are like lobbying for you to join their team and you can do whatever you want. Choose whichever team will have you. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. And like, <laughs> what do you choose? And the advice I always give them is a number one, pick who you want to work with first because you'll, yeah. you'll enjoy doing anything. Like all of these challenges are fascinating and interesting and they're big right. problems to, to solve and interesting technology to work on. But if you're working with people that you just don't mesh with, it's miserable. So true. Like, I mean, there are fantastic developers, fantastic people that just, you know, I just don't mesh with. It's a vibe, you know. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with me. It's just like, you know, I'm metric and they're imperial or whatever, you know, it's just, it doesn't quite mesh. And you've got it, it takes extra energy to make the, the systems work together and like translate, okay, the way that I would explain this thing is like, this is a normal way for me to say it, but it just doesn't make any sense to them right? or vice versa. So figuring out like who you vibe with is, is absolutely critical. And then figuring out what to do together is secondary always. Yeah, it's pretty solid career advice too. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that they love what they do. Like they love the problems they get to solve. They love the technology they get to solve it with. They can't stand their boss. They can't stand the people they work with. Yeah, and, and I, I can tell you the opposite problems. Like, so there was one time, I'm not going to name any names because it'll embarrass me. Um, <laughs> when I was at Facebook, I just, I fell in love with the designers. I just absolutely love these people. They were just the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. Man, I can't remember any of their names now. But like, there's this one guy that I've been following his career since like Delicious Monster. And he went on to do all these crazy things at Apple. And then I was like, I got a chance to like see him in person. Like the first serious fanboy moment I've ever had in my life. And like, I had the chance to go and kind of join them and kind of help them out with their stuff. But I, I didn't consider the vibe. And I just, they're very introverted and, you know, very thoughtful and considered people. And I'm just, I now know that I'm extremely obnoxious and extroverted and pushy. And I didn't realize. <laughs> and I just, it just didn't vibe. Yeah. I was too much of a fanboy. I wanted to be one of the cool kids so badly that I just like, I was a desperate idiot and I ruined it. I mean, I got to do some cool stuff with them. I got to work with them, working on some really, really cool stuff. 
And I, I'll never, I'll never regret taking that opportunity. But I now know that I totally made them feel uncomfortable. I was extremely obnoxious and I didn't fit in right. with that squad. And it sucks because it's the stuff that I love the most. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just, I'm too excited about it. I'm too energized by it. I'm too much of a fanboy about it. And I can't just be chill about it. <laughs> well, if they were all on that same level, right? With the energy level and excitement and the way that they expressed it, then it could have re- been really fun. But because, yeah, you didn't fit the the vibe of the group. Exactly. And the, yeah. the reason why they were so good at what they did is because their personality was just like, they spent so much time and energy just naturally just thinking of things that aren't not literally there already, inventing mm-hmm. impossible things and bringing things that are like 10 years into the future into today. You remember like right. Facebook paper? Did you ever get to play with that? Nope. Yeah, that was just like, uh, this is like a vision of the future. It didn't succeed in the marketplace because it was just too futuristic. Right. And other reasons. Makes sense. So I, I'm kind of curious, you know, you kind of got your your nose to the ground and, uh, you know, you're working in React these days. Are there things that you see coming and do you kind of have an inside track having been at Facebook and having friends there? Or are you kind of looking from the outside in like the rest of us now? I'm definitely outside in at this point, but it, it's kind of a mix. Like I knew that that suspense was coming since like... I don't know, 2007 <laughs> when Sebastian and all the Tools guys were like chatting about like, what if you could throw something that wasn't an error and like really messing around with that and it just like the, the browsers couldn't handle it yet. It was just like it t- destroyed your perf. But then the browsers got fixed and then, you know, eventually, I, I don't know who brought it up. I, it was probably Sebastian because I remember him talking about it, you know, in IRC, like, 10, 15 years ago, almost. Has it been that long? It's 2020. No, it's like 13 years. Oh, crap. Oh, good grief. (laughs) Yeah, so stuff like suspense, but I never saw it coming for like applying that in React to the whole runtime. Like I never saw that coming. And Mm -hmm. hooks, it's like I never saw hooks coming either. There was some talk about like solving that problem when I was there, but but nothing that looked like like that. I think that the next big thing like is kind of state management. Like that's kind of the the next white whale, but I wouldn't expect anything for another five years from the Facebook yeah. team on that. That's one that people have been trying to solve for a while. Yeah. Probably the next big thing that I would watch out for, like hooks were a necessary thing in order to do suspense properly. And suspense was a necessary thing in order to do GraphQL properly. So GraphQL Uh is really the future of of React. Not GraphQL specifically, but like the, the problem space solved by Relay, which happens to use GraphQL and happens to use... But it's like all of these features of React are there in order to support the problem space of Relay. So if you want to see the future of React, look at what Facebook wants to be able to do. And that is incredibly high performance and bundling, extremely precise bundling and garbage collection of bundles. For example, one of the things that they announced at F8 
last time is the the new design or the new architecture for facebook.com is they're bundling up the javascript along with the data so mm-hmm. the javascript to render the data is coming with the data right and then it, as soon as that's not rendered on the screen anymore it garbage collects all of the code necessary to render that stuff that's huge huh. yeah like, that was a problem i was trying to solve in 2009 because CSS was just getting so huge. It's like, how do you garbage collect CSS you're not using anymore? You know, the solution back then was just inline all of it. Basically, CSS and JavaScript. You know, that was kind of a big philosophical discussion back then. I mean, yep. it still is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I'm, I'm a little curious, you know, what are you working on these days as far as, you know, things in React or React Native or whatever? Honestly, my, my focus right now is I'm trying to refine my kind of psychological skill set. Most of my career, I've worked alone by myself, mm-hmm. just doing things however I wanted to do them and, and however I thought they would be done and collaborating with people that I'm not working with on like IRC and in the open source community and stuff. And then I, I realized that I have kind of a, a gap in my soft skills skill set mm-hmm. that I want to to close. I want to focus on, you know, personal growth as it applies to my career. So I'm intentionally choosing not to focus on big technical problems right now and trying to like contain my enthusiasm for the new and bring up my enthusiasm for maintaining the old, especially as it is like passing things on to the next generation and collaborating with a team, with a larger team kind of, you know, fulfilling the, the philosophy of React, which is like anybody can get, get stuff done in React quickly and easily. So if you try and build something super novel and super smart in React, is like you're going against the basic philosophy of React. Yeah. You know, there's a space for that. You know, we need really clever solutions and novel stuff, but I'm trying to, to force myself to not be the guy that has to do the smart thing. And just right. accept that I'm smart. I don't need people to tell me that I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love, uh, you know, I love that idea too, because it's, it's funny people try and be clever, right? Not necessarily yeah. smart. Yeah, people try to be clever and then they wind up doing the things that they don't need to do. And so, yeah, it kind of uh, shields you from some of that temptation, I guess. Yeah. Just like figuring out work, work-life balance and productivity. And oh, that's hard. Yeah. I'm like, what, <laughs> how can I improve my productivity and not just mine, but the productivity of the entire team? You know, when you're a junior developer, you're, you know, focused on maybe one component. The expectations are clear. When you get higher level, you know, the expectations become fuzzier and it's up to you to define the, your own expectations, but you're still, your focus is pretty narrow. You know, as your career climbs, your focus gets fuzzier and fuzzier mm-hmm. and you kind of, scale out more and more and step back further and further and have more impact in a, across a, a much wider range of area. And I, I want to have more of an impact across not just, you know, a component or a system or a, a, a product or a team, but across, you know, the entire division where I'm working, the whole, uh-huh. and the, the future of kind of this space as a whole. I tried to do that too soon at Facebook. I tried to, to solve some really big problems. Like I could so clearly see what the solution was, 
but I just did, I underestimated the, how difficult it is to push change in reality with people. So I'm kind of building up that skill of like, how do I actually make the future reality in a people oriented system? That's slow. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, and it's interesting too, because a lot of times we focus on the technical skills and we neglect the skills that you need, the leadership and the people skills you need to be able to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I did. Well, it's, it's an easy trap to fall into because you either get the technology right and it works or you don't. You know, with people, there are other repercussions that can come back, you know, days, weeks, months, or years later, right? Depending on how you made them feel. Or, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely interesting to dive into. I'm I'm a little curious. We've started to see things move with like GraphQL and, you know, the way that we use React to interact with the world around us. So yeah, are you doing much with with those kinds of things or the biggest thing that I'm trying to to do right now is kind of get a broader area of expertise of like it's not enough to be able to, you know, solve certain sets of problems. I want to be able to kind of balance out problem solving across the board. For example, one of the things that I'm upping my game on right now is server-side rendering and lazy hydration and and really thinking about the whole bundling space and the hydration Mm -hmm. feature capability and just making sure that that's a thing that I consider in the entire spectrum of considerations of a product. It's like when I got into optimizing the performance of like animations on a mobile screen, it's not good enough to just like do a CSS animation. You have to make sure that it's performant enough, which means that you have to understand like what are the hardware limitations of a GPU, especially a mobile GPU and like what things slow you down, what things you can do at, you know, at native speed or, you know, hardware accelerator or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing when thinking about the browser. What are the, what are the browser's basic capabilities and, and how do you, how can you accidentally de-optimize things or accidentally do things a stupid slow way when if you did it, you know, this other way, it would be crazy fast in ways that you, that, that are hard to predict. Right. Makes sense. Well, cool. Well, it's been an interesting conversation and uh, yeah, 100 episodes. It's yeah, absolutely. I'd I'm gonna love kind to of, see 100 more. Yeah, heck yeah. Well, I'm going to push us toward picks. We'll do that and then we'll wrap up. But uh, anything else you want to share before we do that? Or I don't know. I think there's a lot to be said for looking at history. Like mm-hmm. a lot of things that we do in, in this industry, in tech in general, is look towards the future and we're constantly kind of annoyed that we're not at the, in the future already and we're right. trying to bring the future. But we, we lose so many lessons of the past. Like so many major things were solved with technology in the 70s. Yeah. Like when's the last time you really thought about how they were programming in the 70s? <laughs> That's like true. Flow-based programming, uh-huh. so that's still alive, but that was created in the 70s. And the lessons that you can learn from that can dramatically change the way that you think about everything. Right. It's funny too. Um, I remember, especially when I was learning Ruby, we'd run into that where, you know, somebody would bring up some concept and it kind of take the whole community by storm. And then somebody would point out, you know, there was a paper written on this. (laughs) Yeah. In the seventies or eighties and, oh, you know, because we're all, this is a great new concept and it wasn't a new concept. Yeah. I I found myself doing that. 
yep. of just like rediscovering things that, oh yeah, they've refined that 20 years ago. That's like yep. a thing. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some picks? Do you have some things you want to shout out about? I've got a thing. I just picked up a book. It's actually an illustrated kind of like children's book format, but it's um, The Principles for Success by Ray Dalio, Uh an entertaining illustrated format for readers of all ages. It's very interesting. As, As a visual learner myself, this format of applying like a kind of self-helpy kind of, you know, businessy kind of book and doing it in the style of a children's book kind of forces you to think about the the principles with the giant illustrations there and really kind of deeply meditate and ponder the the concepts and how they apply instead of just like cramming in, you know, buckets of information. It's a fascinating way to kind of deliver it's not so much delivering a lot of content, it's delivering a, a very heavy concept that takes a lot of time to, to deeply sink in. And I'm thinking about how I can apply that in my own teaching and stuff. That sounds really interesting. I may have to check that out. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Nice. I've got a couple of picks. I also want to just point out that I said, I think I said Jeremy Bennett earlier was Justin Bennett, but I'm terrible Oops. with names, so that's my fault. I read a book over the Christmas break that really kind of helped cement some ideas for me. So I'm going to pick that. And that is Ready, Fire, Aim. I can't remember the author's name. I listened to it on Audible. It was something that Manny Vea from uh, Entre Programmers, he kept telling me I needed to read it. It was really enlightening, really helpful read. He kind of walks you through the stages that businesses grow into and then talks about, you know, these are the challenges you're going to hit and these, this is how you get around them. Anyway, really, really enjoyed that. So I've been working through that process some. And then I've also got another pick. My wife bought me a board game for Christmas. It's called Legendary. And it's a deck building game based around the Marvel Universe. Anyway, you have villains and masterminds and you basically fight the villains and stuff with your deck. And it's been fun. We've, we've played it quite a bit. I think we're getting to the point where we almost always win. What you do is you're trying to defeat the mastermind before the scheme is completed. And I think there are only two of the schemes that we really haven't been able to overcome. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. So if you're looking for a board game like that, and they've got a zillion expansions. So we're kind of looking at those and thinking that we might get one or two or five of those. That's cool. That reminds me of another thing. It's like Pandemic, the board game, uh-huh. is, is a game kind of like that yep. where you're kind of working together to, to strategize and how to kind of solve all the world's diseases and stuff as a board game. It, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun yep. as a thinking game. Yeah, Pandemic is a lot of fun. We've played that. We have pretty much every expansion for that game as well. They've got a few of them. And then they've also got a bunch of spinoff games for Pandemic. And it was funny because... Uh, we were at a friend's house and, you know, I mentioned, I was like, yeah, I think we've got all the expansions for it. And my wife looked at me and said, no, we don't. And so I went and bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's, it's a terrific game. And uh, the, yeah, the different variations you can play on it are a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah I got to play that some more. Yeah, Pandemic Legacy and Legacy 2 are both fun as well. We've enjoyed those. So Yeah, 
But I like the theme of, of spending more time with people in real life instead of just like consuming content, forcing yourself to like think together, collaborate on something fun and that is not work related. <laughs> yeah. Give your brain a break by using it more for different stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I get together with a group of guys once or twice a month and we play board games. Oh, that's fun. And, and that's a ton of fun. So yeah, I got to get up there and visit you guys one of these days. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for being here, Thomas. My pleasure. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, Max out. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. 